Happy Monday. Welcome into NSN Daily here, August 31st. We were just talking about that, how it's tough to believe it's already August 31st. And, you know, guys, they should have played football this weekend. We got a full crew for you today. Alex Margulies, Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Has it really hit you guys that Nevada was supposed to play UC Davis this weekend, Alex? Oh, for sure. I mean, it was just so weird being out there. I mean, I went uh, floating in the Truckee River and I'm like, what am I doing here? It's just like you should be covering a football game. It just feels so strange. And I think that's why it's hard to believe that it's August 31st, because this has always been the time you're going around covering football. And so not to have that was definitely a void and, and uh, just feels weird. It, and this whole year has been strange, but, um, you know, I think we were all kind of looking forward to, all right, well, we're going through this now. We're, maybe we'll have football in the fall and then uh, not to have that. It definitely is a, a tough one to, to try and figure out. You know, Chris, I think the three of us are pretty cerebral guys where we kind of just try and look at the facts and filter things out and go, okay, this is doable, you know, because this job takes so much planning. You know, I think when we all left, left the station second week of March, I thought really thought that, okay, we were going to be able to snuff this thing out and we'd be playing football in the fall. Were you as optimistic as me or no? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think my first Monday mailbag question after I came home, so I throw out the question on Sunday uh, saying something and then asking me questions. And it was, you know, first uh, week of quarantine, we only got about three more months of this and then we should be good. And one of the comments was, hell no, I'm not waiting that long. And I think it was that attitude that put us in the position that we're in right now, that people didn't want to make the sacrifice uh, for a couple of months and just stay home and not go outside of your house and do what was required to try and, uh, you know, bring the curve down to zero. Uh, we obviously brought the curve down some, but as soon as people got a little bit comfortable, it just skyrocketed again. And I, you know, I remember talking with Doug Newth about uh, early June, and he was super optimistic that they'd have a full season because the numbers were looking good. And then maybe three or four weeks after that, things just kind of exploded. And, uh, you know, they've been brought down a little bit. But, um, yeah, we're just in a bad position with the disease. So, yeah, we didn't take the necessary steps uh, to be able to play football, to be able to enjoy a, a weekend out at Mackey Stadium, watch the Wolfpack play. I was really looking forward to that game for a number of reasons. Peyton Dixon from Bishop Minot would have been playing for UC Davis, coming back to Mackey Stadium, a place where he could have uh, called home if he picked Nevada. Um, so there was a lot of intrigue coming into the season. As we've talked, the Wolfpack looked set up for a really, really good season. The schedule was there. The position players were there. The experience was there. They were entering the fourth year under Jay Norvell, who had a new contract. So, um, you know, it's just kind of a shame that this thing was wiped out. And, you know, what? no matter what they put together in the spring, it's not going to look anything close to what it could have looked like. Um, a, had this virus never come here, and B, if, uh, you know, we would have done a better job as a country trying to limit it so it didn't impact our fall sports like it did last spring. And then again, as we said on Friday, when I said, gentlemen, start your recliners this weekend, there was a full weekend of live sports. Granted, it may not be what you wanted to watch, but you had playoff hockey. We had PGA Tour. It had a great finish at the BMW Championship. I mean, for crying out loud, John Rahm drops a 66-footer on the first playoff hole to win it over Dustin Johnson after Johnson hit a 42-footer to send it to OT. Didn't have extra golf there. You had NASCAR. I mean, so there was some live sports, but and then I keep seeing these promos on NBC. The NFL shall return. I'm like, all right. I hope we're I hope we're doing this right, and I hope it. Uh, I hope it. Uh, hope it continues, but. You know what, over the weekend, we have had so many things punch us in the face and maybe about three feet lower here in 2020. But when I heard about the death of Chadwick Bozeman on Saturday night, that punched me right in the feels. To hear that someone that talented, that dedicated to the craft and to people so loving and such an ambassador to the world 
loses his fight with cancer and none of us knew about it. Uh, Chris, what was your first reaction? I was stunned. I mean, I was actually going to pick up some pickup at a restaurant and my daughter texted me and said Black Panther died. And I was like, I mean, that's, that can't be accurate. So I pulled over and then I looked it up and it was, and then it said that he had had cancer for four years. And I'm like, did I miss something? Because this was never announced. And he seemed like he was a very private person. Uh, he married his girlfriend without anybody really knowing a few months ago. Um, yeah, it was a gut punch to me as well. I mean, I've enjoyed Chadwick's movies for a long, long time. He first kind of came on my radar when he played Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. My entire family went to the theater together to watch that because we're obviously big Dodger fans and, uh, you know, very knowledgeable about Jackie Robinson and the impact he had on our world. And um, yeah, it was it was heartbreaking to me as well. Like, you never know how uh, a celebrity passing is going to affect you. And it usually doesn't affect me too much. But first with Kobe Bryant and then with this, it was just a very similar feeling because they were so young and they had given so much and they had so much still to give. So um, I know he meant a ton uh, to the African-American community as well. It's hard uh, as a white person to kind of understand what seeing representation in movies and uh, TV means to people in minority groups. I mean, we watched Mulan last night and both of my kids are, are half Asian. My wife is Asian and it just means a lot, uh, I think, for African-Americans to see somebody uh, who looks like them, especially for kids, to go out there and be a superhero and be this national star. And Black Panther was such an amazing movie, um, you know, nominated for Best Picture, the first kind of comic book movie to ever do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to think that he was producing all of these great movies while battling stage three colon cancer, which turned into stage four colon cancer. So like you, I mean, I was just in shock and, and kind of devastated. And, um, you know, he left a, a great legacy of movies behind, but, um, you know, it's hard to, I guess, imagine what he could have done um, had he been able to live a fuller and more healthy life. Alex, your thoughts? You know, it's, it is just an insane, you know, the, the hits that just keep coming this year. And, and it's just hard to believe at this point. And like you said, it was just such a shock because no one knew about this battle that he's been going through and, and colon cancer at such a young age is just such a stunner. And, um, you know, he obviously has had a huge impact on a lot of people with his movies and, and, like I said, I mean, Black Panther for me, I'm not a huge superhero movie guy. I mean, there's been a lot of that have come out that I haven't cared to see, but I saw Black Panther in theaters and that was just such an amazing, impactful movie. Uh, like you said, Chris, to, especially to the African-American community, even more so, but just even just as a great film and just the way that he was able to just capitalize as a, as a minority superhero and to do it as well as he did and, and just the way that entire movie um, you know, just made waves in the industry and was just such an amazing film uh, as a superhero movie. I thought it was one of the best I've seen in years. Um, and the way that he's been able to impact kids and, and even just away from the movie screen, um, you know, dealing with, there's these stories now that he's going and he's talking to kids that, that have cancer themselves and, and um, just being an amazing role model for that. So it, it's tough to, to lose um, you know, one of these public figures that, that really has had so much left to give, like you said, I mean, I, I feel like he was just coming into uh, kind of a golden age of, of what he was capable of doing. And uh, it's real shame that we won't get to see more of his films. And, and he certainly will be an actor that will be cherished for a very long time. And his films, I think, will be cherished for a very long time. I think Chadwick Boseman will go down as being one of those exceptional individuals who people are just drawn to him. Uh, I recall the first time I really got to hear him and, and see him is uh, he was being interviewed at, at the release of 42, at the release of the Jackie Robinson movie, which was which is spectacular. If you haven't seen that, you need to you need to watch that. It's not a sports movie; it's a movie about being human. And 
he was on a, one of the late night talk shows. And I don't remember if it was Fallon or Kimmel, like it matters. But listening, and I found myself drawn in listening to this incredible young man and the way that he presented himself. And I said, this guy's going to be big. This guy's going to be huge. And then, you know, he plays, I mean, Thurgood Marshall. He plays James Brown, Jackie Robinson, and Black Panther. And to see that our, our community, our society as a planet has lost someone like this, what I saw on social media over the weekend really, really told me the impact that he had on so many lives. And so it's, uh, it's tough. Uh, like I said, you know, somebody pick up 2020. 2020 needs to go home. And uh, it's, uh, it's been rough on everybody. But uh, to see Chadwick Boseman at such a young age at 43, uh, we lost him over the weekend. But uh, I know we're a sports show. Sorry. We wanted to get into that a little bit. We do talk about social toss topics as well. But uh, anyhow, uh, tough to see that happen. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, how about the final countdown? Number one ranked player when it comes to Chris Murray's top 25 most important Wolfpack football players for the 2021 season. You, you probably guessed it. That's coming up next. This Wolfpack update is brought to you by Renown Health. Welcome back to NSN Daily, a new segment that uh, we've started here in the last couple of weeks, uh, the Renown Wolfpack update. We're scheduling them to run every single Monday. We're going to have a, a double dip this week. We're going to have two segments uh, of, of a Wolfpack update, and they're uh, going to start off with Chris's diligent work when it comes to our top 25 uh, most important Wolfpack football players for the 2021 season. Number two is Dom Peterson, the big defensive lineman, chip on his shoulder and, and a huge motor in his heart. But number one, Chris, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It has to go with the trigger man. Yeah, quarterback's usually going to rank high on these lists. I think with Carson Strong entering this season, he deserves to be number one. He's obviously going to have a huge impact on just what Nevada's offense looks like this season. I think that's been a big thing since Jay Norvell took over. He's kind of an offensive coach, obviously, been an offensive coordinator at uh, a number of Power 5 schools. You have Matt Mummy with his air raid and his lineage with his father. Um, but Nevada's offense really hasn't been that good the last three years, if I'm going to be 100% honest about it. I think the defenses have largely outplayed the offense in recent years, and a lot of that is the offensive line and other things, but this was kind of going to be an offensive style uh, offensive group with uh, Jane Orville being the head coach. And to date for me, the offense really hasn't lived up to the expectations for Nevada. I mean, Nevada has a very high standard when it comes to offense, largely because of Chris Alton, the offenses he rolled out there, but it's been since 2011, since Nevada had a thousand yard receiver, been since 2012, since Nevada had an all conference quarterback since uh, 2000. 16 since Nevada had a 1,000 yard running back. So um, it's been a long time since Nevada's really been able to go out there and play the kind of offense you expect from the Wolfpack. 35 plus points per game, really throwing the ball around, having a very strong and physical power running game. Uh, and I think this that could happen this year. You have the skill position players, you have a more veteran offensive line, but it really does come down to the quarterback at a lot of levels. And I think Carson Strong has what it takes uh, to get Nevada's offense back to what its expectations are and what the standard is for the Wolfpack. I think you look at how he finished the season and he played tremendously. I mean, you're talking about over his last five games, completed 66% of his passes for 272 yards um, with eight touchdowns against only one interception. That's when he was healthy. And then he was also healthy against Purdue and he played really well in that game. So uh, you look at the national rankings, pro football focus, I think had Carson uh, in the bottom 30 or 40 in terms of quarterbacks to start this season out of 130 in the FBS. I think he could easily be a top 50 quarterback in the nation with these skill positions as long as he stays healthy, as long as he gets a little bit of time from that offensive line. 
Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a number of factors that go into this, you know, him having the job and knowing that it's his job, not looking over his shoulder and going, am I going to get pulled here? Am I going to get you? Are they going to put somebody else in to try and shake things up? I mean, for crying out loud, he was a redshirt freshman. You have to put that in. It's his job. And it scared off some quarterbacks. I mean, you saw guys transferring, guys transfer out. I mean, that happens, unfortunately, but it's Carson's job. The offensive line, I expect it to be better this year. So you're going to keep him upright and keep him healthy. You're right. When he was when he was hurt, it was obvious that this kid was playing through pain. Now, Alex, sometimes it's trendy to pick a quarterback as being all the most important guy, but it it's all starts right there. When Nevada has been really, really good, you look at John Dutton, you look at Chris Vargas, you look at guys like Colin Kaepernick and going back to a Jeff Rowe. When Nevada's been good, they're led by a big, strong quarterback. Yeah, and, and all signs point that this guy can be uh, an impactful quarterback that can really leave a legacy at Nevada, and, and he has so much time to go. I mean, the, the, the flashes that we did see from him as a redshirt freshman that, that had an injury part of the year, that had competition as part of it, and you guys all said it. I mean, this was the year to kind of really get excited about what the possibility of Carson Strong uh, could be realized and, and getting in a, a healthy season with a, a, an older offensive line with a really a great – receiving core. Uh, there was no reason why Nevada's offense wasn't going to take a huge jump on the field uh, with Carson Strong leading the way. So uh, it's a shame we didn't get to see him play this weekend and, and here in the fall. And then hopefully, uh, you know, some kind of spring season will materialize. Uh, otherwise, we'll have to wait until next fall to, to see him play in a Wolfpack uniform again. But you have to think that he really grew a lot and, and just what he was able to do in his redshirt freshman season, going from that quarterback battle and, and you know, what we were able to see from him. I, I brought this up last week, but it was just so interesting last year being there during training camp, doing our show Nevada Grit and, and watching Carson Strong and the way that up close and being able to kind of listen to him in the huddle and listen to him interact with his teammates and, and listen to him uh, be a leader and, and be this vocal presence at such a young age and, and you know, they kind of joked around calling him, you know, kind of TB12. You know, he kind of had that Tom Brady uh, brashness to us and, mm -hmm. and, and vocal and, and ability as a quarterback. And certainly he's not afraid to talk. He's not afraid to be a leader. Um, and uh, I, for one, was very excited to see what he was capable of and, and what kind of jump he was going to take as a, as a sophomore. Well, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with the quarterback having a little edge to him. Um, but if you're a quarterback who has an edge and you can't back it up on the field, then maybe you ought to zip the lip just a little bit. We've seen quarterbacks come to Mackey Stadium that were, were talkers, and they got it done. You know, um, you look at Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore was one of those guys who could sling it all over the yard. I mean, now coaching with the Cowboys, and he, but he could back it up. Even, even Colin Kaepernick, you could see, as Colin got through his end of his senior year, he was playing with defenses. You know, you had the fastest guys on the field that still couldn't cut him off. And catch him. But the 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 game or the conference clinching win at Louisiana Tech the week after they beat Boise State. Colin had one of the greatest runs I think in Nevada football history, where he literally covered probably 60, 80 yards, and he and he scored from only about 14 yards out, and it was amazing to me. But the position where we're not talking about on offense, guys, we talked about the offensive line. They're going to be older, more mature, bigger, wide receiver. They're stacked, running back. You got peanut butter and jelly and Toa Tau and Devontae Lee, Carson Strong at quarterback. You've got three veteran tight ends on this team that average 260 to 270. They've got three guys on this team that are going to be absolutely massive and very, very important to this team. So this offense to me is really exciting. Chris, I agree with you. It's time for us to 
get back to seeing Nevada put up milestone numbers. We were so used to that. Okay, Luke Lippincott, Toa Tala, or uh, Vitala, Colin Kaepernick, all rush for 1,000 yards. Back in the day, Inslee goes for 2,000. Noisy goes for 1,000. And, and that sort of thing. But it's time for those numbers, I think, to get uh, thrown back up well, there. Well, I'm here's the thing. Like, I mean, we have all these, uh, you know, notable names and these big players. But last year, they, they ranked the 11th out of 12th in the Mountain West in scoring. Only 21.3 points per game last year. Uh, lowest uh, for Nevada since 2000. So, like, as Matt Mummy has said on the show, like, it's time to go and, and show it and put it up and not talk about what you're going to do. It's time to go out on the field and actually be a good offense. Um, so, I mean, you're only putting up 21 points per game like Nevada was last year. You're really asking your defense to do a lot. And that's why I thought it was interesting when we got to this offseason that basically the entire defensive staff was uh, discarded, fired. Jeff Castillo, I think, is a very good coach, thrown away as defensive coordinator. And Jay Norvell is kind of pinpointing the defense as the thing that's holding this program back when it's really the offense that hasn't actually produced on the field. Uh, to the level that you require to be a championship caliber program. So while I agree with you and have made the point several times, even saying Nevada has the best returning position players in the Mountain West, like they got to go out there and do it. Like you can't be 11th out of 12th in the Mountain West in scoring uh, and say, you know, we got all these good players. Like go out there and show that you have these good players. Go out there and put up 35 points per game. Go out there and with an offensive line and pose your will on the defense. Go out there and throw the ball down the field and make big plays and don't just miss by a couple of inches. That's the big challenge for these guys especially now that it's a veteran group with two upperclassmen in the running back group and juniors. Uh, you have two upperclassmen leading your wide receiving core. You have a sophomore quarterback, but a guy who's been around the block. And then your entire offensive line is made up of seniors and juniors. So, like, go, uh, go put up uh, and then show everybody that you're a good offense is kind of the message, I think, coming from that offensive staff. Yeah, Alex, there were plenty of times you and I were on the field last year, and it's like, don't settle for a field goal here. As much as I like Brandon Talton being an All-American you want a wide receiver to be an All-American, not your kicker. And he was reliable, great. But I want seven points every time you go down the field instead of three. And, you know, Nevada will hopefully very soon have the chance to see if they can punch it in. you got to finish drives. you got to finish drives. That was one of the things that, that hurt them last year. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, a little double dip for the renowned Wolfpack update. One uh, a special moment at Mackey Stadium. I'll just say that. That's coming up next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Kind of a, a double dip when it comes to the renowned uh, Wolfpack update. Uh, it, it's always special. I know Chris, you've seen it. Alex, you've seen it. We've had it on this show live where an athlete, all the hard work, they walk on maybe the red shirt or gray shirt or plaid shirt. There's so many different ways that you can burn a year. And then they'll finally get rewarded maybe two years in. We saw Nathan Edwards, Galena High School graduate, get rewarded with a scholarship uh, last year it was on this show but uh, over the weekend guys Amir Johnson the big defensive lineman from Las Vegas Bishop Gorman High School Alex I don't get tired of these because I want to see the kids that are working their butts off get rewarded for that and, and all the guys just mobbed him yeah it's, it's always one of the favorite things to see and uh he it, it sounds like it's a, a big deserved honor for him I mean uh, I was seeing something that he's gained like 30 pounds of muscle since he's been there, plus 30. So he's obviously been working real hard in the weight room. Uh, you know, he was a, a talented kid coming out of high school playing at Bishop Gorman, and he was an all-state selection there on the offensive line and, and has made the transition. So it's always one of the neat things. You just get to see the the genuine joy uh, of, of not only the kid, but just all the teammates around them. And, and uh, these are always special, and they never get old. Chris, I think what you're seeing out of a guy like Amir Johnson is 
what do you need me to do, coach? I just want to get on the field. I just want to wear the jersey. I want to play college football. That dream of playing college football. If you go to Gorman and you win three state championships and you're ranked nationally, you expect to play at the next level. And for him to say, nope, I'm going to walk, I'm going to walk on at Nevada. I like the feel. And I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I love the attitude. Yeah, and there's a stick-to-itiveness uh, that's associated with that. I mean, you're probably looking at 15 to 20 walk-ons that join uh, Nevada's roster every single year. And if you make it all five years, you're going to be somebody who's on scholarship by the end. You're not going to be a five-year walk-on because you're going to show that determination and that value to the team. This is a guy who basically was a backup center for the majority of his career. And then halfway through last year, they're like, we need you on the defensive line. So then he starts playing on the defensive line and getting into games. So like you said, willing to do whatever it requires to get on the field and what's best for the team, even if that maybe isn't best for him personally. And um, yeah, you saw with that reaction, how much that meant to the team. And I think something that Jay Norvell deserves a lot of credit for is he doesn't look at the recruiting range rankings or whether you're a walk-on or not, whether he's going to put you on the field, and then also whether he's going to reward you with the scholarship. He has given a lot of walk-on scholarships during his three years at Nevada. I mean, obviously, there were the famous ones with Brandon Talton right after the Purdue game, and then uh, Ben Putman right after the uh, bowl game win against Arkansas State. But, uh, you know, Reagan Roberson from Douglas High gets one after one year, which is pretty unprecedented. Usually, yeah. I put a couple of years in to get that scholarship, but he's more than willing uh, to look at a walk-on exactly as he looks at a four-star recruit and say, what can you give my team? And if you can give my team something, then we're going to reward you by putting you on scholarship. And Amir has obviously done enough uh, entering his fourth year with the Wolfpack to be able to get that full ride. And I'm sure that first call home to mom and dad is an amazing feeling to be able to say, you know, you don't got to pay for college anymore. I got this covered. Well, I mean, Amir Johnson's got the it factor. He's a winner. I mean, like I said, three-time state champion at, at Minot, all right, uh, Gorman, the other bishop. Uh, then they, uh, they won a national title. He beat St. Thomas Aquinas for a national championship. And if you look at his bio, and I don't know if this has changed. Sometimes they do change over time, obviously. Major in chemistry, wants to become an anesthesiologist after college. So it's going on between the, uh, between the years on the helmet as well. But uh, Amir Johnson getting, uh, getting a scholarship uh, – presented to him uh, in front of his teammates. And all, like I said, all I have to see is the reaction of the teammates. And when they're more excited than the player getting the scholarship is, it tells you what the worth is uh, of that player to that football team. Yeah, the move over to defensive line really kind of seems like it, something clicked. And we see that in college athletics. Somebody becomes maybe between a sophomore and a junior and they physically click. Mentally, the game slows down for them or something like that. So, uh, yeah, Amir Johnson going to provide some great depth on an already very talented defensive line. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Alex Margulies was on the call on Saturday night as Reno 1868 shut down the top offense in the United Soccer League. We'll have a recap of Reno 1868 and Phoenix Rising coming up next. You know, I'm going to give credit for this victory when Reno 1868 beats uh, Phoenix Rising over the weekend. Two to one, I'm going to give credit to Alex Margulies. I'm going to give you an assist on this. And not because you're on play-by-play, -play, which we love listening to play-by-play -play when you're doing baseball or soccer, but you are the one who organized the NSN Beer Pong Tournament and inspired Corey Herzog this offseason. Herzog goes out and he assists in the game. He scored a goal in the, in the game. Um, this is a big victory, and unfortunately it didn't happen in front of anybody. It was in front of a TV audience. But um, – this is a huge win for uh, for 1868 over a power power team that has deep pockets. Yeah, you know, Corey Herzog uh, had one trophy in the offseason in that beer pong championship, and he said this was going to be the first of two uh, this year. So he's that, that would be big for him. He's been in this league for a long time. 
to get his first USL title. And this team has to feel pretty inspired by itself after the way that they played on Saturday. I mean, they proved that they can hang with the best team in the West Conference. Uh, you know, Phoenix is a team that last year was the regular season champion. They won the, the, the conference the year before that. Uh, and this is a team that can flat out just light it up. I mean, 28 goals uh, coming in in only eight matches. And uh, I just thought Reno's defense played phenomenally. Uh, so many great individual efforts, but really just the way they are defending as a team uh, to only allow one goal against Phoenix was fantastic. And I just, you, you mentioned Corey Herzog. What an effort by him. Uh, he, he spurs the first goal, uh, crossing it in there for Foster Langsdorf, who had a great finish. He's been fantastic in, in limited minutes coming off the bench and, and now starting the last couple of, of games. He now leads the team uh, with Corey Herzog in goals scored, uh, yet that he's only played about 400 minutes this year. So Langsdorf has been great, uh, the former Stanford national champion when he played there. Uh, and then Corey Herzog, right after uh, Phoenix was able to tie the match at one-to-one, he kind of took the match into his own hands and went right back down the field, made a couple guys miss a beautiful goal uh, into the left corner to uh, put Reno up for good. And then their defense, again, was able to hold off this really good Phoenix team. So I think this has got to be a big win just in terms from a confidence standpoint for Reno 1868 going into the last now seven matches of the season. They're in first place in their group and, and have a, a nice foothold there and, uh, you know, should be a playoff team for the fourth year in a row, four for four. And uh, this is a team, I think, with a strength in defense, maybe the best defense they've had in their four years, at least statistically, you can't argue against it. Uh, this is a team that could maybe make a deeper run in the postseason than we've seen from maybe the more offensively potent teams, a more balanced uh, 2020 team this year with Ian Russell and, and this club. You say the name. Uh, Chris, we talked with Ian Russell last week uh, before this big match. And anybody who knows Ian knows that Ian's got a low burn going. You know there's a lot going on between years. He's thinking a lot. He's one of those guys that you kind of go, I don't know if I'd want to scrap with this dude. I don't know that I would want to. He's, he's a very intense guy and, and, and great at what he does. Reno's been lucky to have him as long as they have. But how much do you think this team is taking on the personality of an Ian Russell, a guy who's just a blue-collar guy, hardworking, and just – get the get it done sort of guy yeah for sure and I think defensively as well I mean he talked when he was on the show last week about how they had to change up their entire defensive format and scheme to basically play man defense which is not something a lot of teams do but it was asked by the parent club and he bought in uh, maybe a little reluctant at first and you know the rest of the team has to follow that lead and, and buy in if he's only 50 percent in and he's trying to do whatever he can to win games rather than help the parent club then maybe the defensive move isn't as effective but as Alex mentioned I mean they went against the best offense in the league a, a team that was averaging more than three goals per game and and really shut them down only giving up one goal uh, I'm sure they would have taken that entering the game and I think it was a big win because this is Reno's first win over a team with the winning record so far this season. They haven't had a lot of those opportunities. They were only 0-2 in such games, uh, both losses to Sac Republic. But um, this maybe proves to them that they can play with any team in the USL. And right now, uh, they're second, uh, tied for second in the USL in points behind only San Antonio, which has one game in hand and three more points. So, uh, you know, Reno, I mean, you can't make the case that they're not one of the best three or four teams in the USL right now. And, uh, you know, they basically have a playoff spot locked up. It's the first two out of each pod and third place in their pod is the Sounders with only seven points and Reno has 21 points. They could probably lose their last seven games and still make it into the playoffs. Obviously, they don't want to do that, but now it's about making sure that they can continue this form over the next couple of weeks. So when they get to the playoffs in the postseason, they can have a little more success than previous years. But this does seem like the most 
well-rounded team uh, that Ian Russell has had in his four seasons because the defense is just uh, a notch better than what we've seen previously. And a lot of that comes from Ian buying into the new scheme and then the players following that lead. Alex, it was funny. We were talking about before we went on the air, we we're talking about the power rankings when it comes to the United Soccer League. And this is one of those wins that when somebody sees it on their phone, they're going to go, oh, whoa. And you saw it in the power rankings. Reno made a huge leap forward. Yeah, they leaped all the way from ninth to sixth. Uh, and it, it makes sense. I mean, you're talking about a team that's seven and two. Uh, and, and that stands out to me. They're seven, two, and oh, not a single draw this year. And that's something that it really, I thought, kind of plagued the team last year. They had so many wins turn into draws because they couldn't finish matches late. And that was, to me, watching them finish that one late and not give up uh, that equalizing goal. That's something we've seen from this team over the last couple of years when they get down to those final minutes and, and they just give up that heartbreaking goal uh, to, to see a win turn into a draw. So the fact that they have not done that this year, I think has been crucial. And uh, they, they are a balanced team. They are a hungry team. They're, they're a veteran group. Uh, it's interesting this year compared to last year where you don't have players coming down from San Jose, which is good and bad. Obviously there's some talent there. But it does, you know, kind of help keep the, the chemistry and the continuity the same. And, and, you know, I think guys can show up to work and, and, and kind of know where they fit without somebody coming down from somewhere else and all of a sudden kind of taking their job. So maybe there is something to the fact that they are able to have some consistency in the absence of the San Jose players not going back and forth like they normally would in, in a normal season. Um, but, I, again, I just think that this is, this is a club that's getting good at the right time. They got seven matches to go. Now the key is, can they stay healthy? Because that's the downside of not having players from San Jose is that there's not a ton of depth. They just don't have the ability to start losing guys to injury. So if they can stay healthy and they can stay together over this final stretch, there's no reason to think that this team isn't going to head into the postseason as one of the top two, three, four teams in the entire USL and, and have a, a realistic shot at making a real deep run into the postseason. Reno 1868 now gets a week off to get their legs back until a match at uh, Greater Nevada Field on September 5th against Portland Timbers 2, a team that uh, they've had really good success against. Yeah, Portland Timbers, uh, you know, it's a young club. They, they just haven't really been able to figure it out this year. They've really struggled in the USL. They've been playing better as of late, uh, but still have not been able to get a first win. They're 0-8 despite having played a little bit better. So there's no reason to think Reno's not going to go out and, and – uh, pick up another three points this weekend. But in the same token, you, you can't go in there with an attitude that you're just going to show up and win. Uh, and so they have to, to, to stay focused. And that's going to be a difficult thing. As you mentioned, Chris, they haven't played necessarily the best teams in the league. They have had a softer schedule in their group. Uh, it's just kind of the way it's worked out. But you certainly can't take any of these matches for granted. And you don't want to let uh, an easy opportunity for three points all of a sudden become a draw and become one. And, and so they have to stay focused here down the stretch for sure. Yeah, I want to I meet the guy that's hanging out over the – it's kind of the media gate, I think, is where he's at. It's one of the, one of the fans. I don't know which – Yeah, there's a, a few of them. Yeah, there's a, there's, a quite, there's, a, there's a handful of them that have been hanging out. I think that's pretty awesome to see that these fans are still showing up and, and, and spurring on the team. And you can hear the, the, the drums. You can hear some of the instruments and, and some of the chanting and, and getting excited. The players uh, have been very appreciative. You see them at the end of the match going over and, and, and uh, kind of sharing a moment and kind of peeking through the, through, through the gates at the fans. So, you know, maybe we'll see more fans start showing up and, and uh, making some noise outside the gates as the season goes on.
1868 and Portland Timbers 2. You can catch that uh, Saturday night. Greater Nevada Field, no fans, but of course, we're televising every single one of 1868's matches this season. Seven o'clock start on our broadcast, correct, Alex? Alex will be on the yep. play uh, as well. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Shannon Kelly continues the journey that is learning how to play the game of golf. And she's doing a pretty darn good job at it. She's better than me already as she tackles Toyabi. That's next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Shannon Kelly joining the program, uh, continuing uh, her reports on the Reno Media Golf Tour. Um, Shannon, uh, not an experienced golfer, but, uh, you know, braving a couple of the, a couple of challenging courses over the last week. Uh, you played uh, the Lakes course there at Genoa with Nikki B, a correspondent from the Golf Channel, who she hits it a mile and is a really good golfer. And this time around, you were tackling Toyabi. Yeah, tackling Toyabi on the second and final day that I was out there. And another great course. Um, it was just beautiful. I mean, you're right there in the middle of Washoe Valley. You're tucked away on this gorgeous course. And, you know, I was there for a wedding last year when I was in Kenzie and Ben's wedding. And I didn't even get to see any of the course, though, because I was just, you know, in the um, – in the, at the wedding venue but to be able to actually get out there and explore that it, what it had to offer and it's gorgeous I mean it is challenging as well just like Genoa was um, but I have to say my favorite hole at Toyabi was number 17 uh, the par three there and that's overlooking Washoe Valley it's just in the lake and it's absolutely gorgeous uh, so yeah that was it was another great day out there as well um, Anthony and I we had the chance to golf with two other women that were on the tour um, one of them was Stephanie Gibri and Carl Romero both of them golfed in college Stephanie golfed at San Jose State Carl golfed at University of South Florida so it was great to get some tips from them as well um, but here's more from our day out there at Toyabi. From the heart of Washoe Valley, Nevada, our final stop on the Reno Tahoe Golf Tour takes us to beautiful Toyabi Golf Course. From right outside of the clubhouse, I'm Shannon Kelly. Well, we've had the chance to check out some of the most unique courses in our area with our final stop here at Toyabi, located just a short drive from Reno. We had the chance to chat with Marketing Director Brian Davis to hear about what makes this course so unique. Well, I think it's, I think it's a setting. You know, there's, there's incredible settings all across Northern Nevada. Um, and I've, you've seen them on this tour. But this is also one where you come into this valley that, you know, a lot of people just drive through. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those areas where people just fly from Carson to Reno and Reno to Carson coming on the way back. But just off the road is this incredible golf course that's just kind of tucked away. And it's really a lot of fun watching people come in here that say, oh my gosh, I've never, I didn't realize this was here. I didn't realize the quality of the golf course that is here. Talk about just a few of your favorite holes on this course. Well, some of my favorites are um, some of the par fives on the back nine, just because they're a little reachable. Also, you know, it's, sometimes some of the wind on them makes things a little interesting. There's a great par three on the front that I really like. Uh, that's number eight. I like, and of course, number 17 is kind of a signature hole here. It's a downhill par three. You can see Washoe Lake from the top, so that makes it a lot of fun. Um, and then just all the holes have some water on them. They have some bunkers, you know, so there's just a lot of variety. And I, that's what I enjoy the most. That'll grow. A little off, but it'll do. It'll still work, gets the job done. One day at a time, getting better out here, one day at a time.
would love for this to be my last shot of the day. Sit. Well, that's a wrap. Good job. Good job. Can we do this? Yay. It was great playing with you guys. Thank you for welcoming us into your home. That'll do it for us on the Reno Tahoe Golf Tour this year. Be sure to check out our full show over on Nevada Sportsnet in the coming weeks. Reporting at Toyabi Golf Club, I'm Shannon Kelly. Yeah, always great hospitality down at Toyabi. Uh, you talk about 17 at par three. A um, lot of elevation on that, that hole. And it's also one of the only holes you're going to find shade on that golf course. I'm a fan of playing trees courses with trees and uh, that that really is a beautiful hole um you got to play with Rez Anthony Resnick is is by far probably the best athlete of the NSN team he played football in college he picked up snowboarding in one winter um how is he at golf he is really good at golf I mean he I, I was like wow like I, he's just as new as I am um but I was blown away too with what he had to, what his game was all about um yeah, I mean, like you guys have mentioned before, he's no stranger to picking up things very quickly out there. So with any sport for that matter. Um, but yeah, he did really well. I think at the end, we both got a little frustrated because, you know, we're not these professional golfers like everyone else is out there. And, you know, he had been out there all week as well. But after playing two rounds of 18 holes, that was a lot. I mean, I've only really played par three, nine hole courses. So that was a lot different for me than what I'm typically used to. But um, now I, I feel like I understand the game more and I appreciate it more. And I, I really do like the sport of golf and I want to get better at it. I think this is something that I can get better at and something that I want to do as well. Um, I feel like after softball and after college, you know, finding that next sport of your calling, I guess people ask me, Oh, are you going to play slow pitch? And that's just, I, I just don't think that's really for me or what I want to do, but uh, I think golf is. So I'm excited to continue playing the sport and have some fun with it along the way. So what's next? Are you going to start going around, go play Sierra Sage, go play Lake Ridge, go play somewhere in town? Yeah, I've actually been out to Lake Ridge. Um, I've actually only been to the driving range there, though, to get some practice in, and that was nice. Um, I've been over to Wild Creek and to Kylie Ranch, played some rounds there as well. So I'm starting slow, but I've heard Sierra Sage is nice too, so I want to check that one out as well. But just kind of build my way up one little, one course at a time, you could say. It's never going to hurt you to just go out and hit balls. It's never going to hurt you to go out, go to a driving range, Maybe find a range that's got uh, got got a sand feature, that's got a chipping green, putting green, of course. But to, just to get out and take an afternoon, just mentally for yourself, mm -hmm. to, to me to be out there by myself. And I like socially distancing in the first place. Yeah. Uh, but now that it is pretty much what we need to do to to hopefully kill this COVID nineteen thing, that's perfect for me. Is go out, hit a bucket of balls, and just not think about anything. And uh, yeah, it'll end up helping your golf game. So. Uh, Good luck on this frustrating journey. Yeah, I mean, I do have to say, though, it is also frustrating, too, because I feel like I go to the driving range, and I'm like, oh, I'm hitting them so well here, and then I go to tee off, and it's a completely different situation, but I'm getting there. Little bits at a time. The driving range helps. <laughs> That's my biggest problem. I leave all my good shots on the driving range, and then I get out, then I get out to the tee box, and then I don't know where the ball's going to go. But Shannon uh, Kelly uh, sharing her, uh, her first uh, experiences with uh, – the beautiful, frustrating game that is golf. Thanks, Jen. Of course. Thank you, Brian. We'll have much more coming up on NSN Daily right after this.
wrapping things up here in NSN Daily. Uh, baseball season motoring along. We're seeing great uh, divisional matchups and races in certain divisions. Uh, Chris, your Dodgers are doing exactly what we expected them to do. The Giants uh, not floundering as bad as I thought that they would be. They've, they've managed to somehow pull some stuff off every once in a while. With the trade deadline, uh, it's weird to talk about it right now, but, I mean, who do you want to see your Dodgers go out and get? There are some names out there, guys that have really, really looked good in this uh, this shortened season format. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't uh, mind Francisco Lindor, but I don't think that's happening. I think uh, a realistic target might be somebody like a Lance Lynn, a number three starter to slot behind Clayton Kershaw and Walker Buehler. Um, but I think they'll probably largely stand pat. There's no huge needs there. Uh, it is kind of cool to see the Giants toggling with a potential playoff berth. They're right in the mix there. They could actually get the eighth seed and play the Dodgers in the first round, which is currently the first seed. So uh, Mike Clevenger was just traded from the Indians to the Padres. I think that's a big trade. The Padres uh, first in baseball and run scored per game need a little help in the pitching side so they're making a run at it as well um but you know a lot of teams still in the mix because uh, of the format with eight teams making it so uh, kind of cool that the giants are still in there and uh they just had a seven game winning streak that uh, you know kind of put them in an interesting position do they sell guys like kevin gossman or do they try and make a push and try and make an actual playoff spot i don't think the giants are going to sell i don't think they're going to do it i i don't see them having that, okay, we really have a chance to make a run at this thing. Alex, you're a Giants fan too. Uh, we got about a minute to go. Uh, do you think, do you see San Francisco making any moves here? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure where they're going to go. It's, it's still hard with this new regime to, to know their approach and how they're going to deal with this kind of a situation. So I, I don't have a really good feel if they're going to be buyers or sellers. As Chris said, they're right there. Uh, it's still 17 and 19. So despite a winning streak, they're not overly spectacular, but they've shown a, uh, the, the ability in the last week and a half to play better baseball. Uh, I've been super impressed with the Padres. I mean, wow, uh, to see what they've been able to do offensively, and they look like they're going for it. They've made several trades now and have really dealt up a lot of their farm system uh, to go for it this year. They're a young, exciting team. I'm curious to see, you know, how capable they are, and, and uh, that'll be an interesting deal to follow, I think, is in is San Diego. They could be a real dark horse. Bet or no bet, we got uh, 20 seconds. If the Padres make the playoffs for the first time in, what, a dozen years, does Julian Delgadio take credit for it on social media? <laughs> I'm sure he will. We'll find a way, yeah. Yeah, bet that one. That'll do it for us here on NSN Daily. I'm Brian Samudio with Alex Margulies and Chris Murray. Thanks very much for being with us. We will see you tomorrow right here on Nevada Sportsnet.